This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I am so glad you are listening and would really appreciate your rating this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps me out a lot. If you have personalized book questions, I can be reached at cindyhburnett at att.net, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, I am interviewing Alex George. Alex is a writer, a bookseller, a director of a literary festival, and a lawyer. He was born in England, but presently lives in the Midwest of America. Alex read law at Oxford University and worked for eight years as a corporate lawyer in London and Paris. He moved to the United States in 2003. In addition to writing, he owns an independent bookshop, Skylark Bookshop, in downtown Columbia, Missouri, where he lives with his family. His latest book is The Paris Hours. Welcome, Alex. I'm glad you are here to talk about The Paris Hours. How are you today? I'm good, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing great. I loved your book, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, so why don't you just start out by telling me a little bit about it? Sure. So The Paris Hours set, um, perhaps unsurprisingly, in Paris <laughs> in uh, 1927. It takes place over the course of one hot summer's day in 1927, And there are really four stories in the book. And while those stories are interconnected and they sort of, they cross-pollinate each other, each one has its own character as its main protagonist. And those those four characters are, there's there's a a painter who is on the run from uh, some mobsters to whom he owes money. There's a journalist who tells other people's stories because his own story is a little too sad for him to face and to talk about. Then there is a refugee from the Armenian genocide who is a puppeteer and he performs puppet shows for the children of Paris in the the parks and gardens of the city. And then finally, there is a maid called Camille and she is the the maid of the great writer Marcel Proust. And the story really began with her. I was reading about uh, Proust and was actually reading a memoir that his actual real life maid, Celeste Abbey wrote, she told a story about being asked to burn 32 notebooks that Proust had. And those 32 notebooks contained the the bones of his his novel, uh, seven-volume novel, for which he's he's so famous. And I remember reading it and just thinking about all of those burnt notebooks and what a treasure had been lost. And, you know, I always think that part of being a novelist is it's always the question of asking yourself the right questions. And one of those questions, which I often find myself asking, is what if? And so I began to ask myself, well, what if um, the maid had actually saved one of those notebooks? And then my next question was, and what if there was a secret in that notebook that everybody thought had been destroyed, but actually wasn't? And so from that tiny seed, this this whole whole book grew. Well, that's a fascinating premise, and I was curious where it came from, because it's definitely intriguing, and um, that's that's interesting that you actually read something about her and that she talked about burning his journals. And I liked how the characters, over time, slowly everything intersected more than you might think it was going to. I don't want to give anything away, but I think that's not giving anything away. Yeah, and that was one of the fun things. It was, you know, I think when you begin a book like that with multiple perspectives, Everybody knows or suspects at least that at the end, everyone's going to come together and it's more a question of how <laughs> rather, than, rather than whether they will. So that was fun. And it was fun to, over the course of the day, have them early on just sort of intercept a little bit, uh, just to sort of tease the reader a little bit. So that was a lot of fun to, to do all of that. 
the one thing that I knew fairly early on was that, and my wife sort of insisted on this, she said, you've got to do it in a strict order so that the reader can, can work out what's going on fairly quickly. And that they're, so they're clumped in groups of four. And once I made that decision, I was able to, I, I broke them down into, into fairly short chapters, just A, to keep things moving, and B, with many characters I thought it was easier and some people would disagree with this that it's easier to have short chapters and lots of repetition rather than longer chapters and one of the other things with this book even though it takes place over the course of one day there are as you know lots and lots of flashbacks uh, just to complicate things if it wasn't already complicated <laughs> enough so the the shorter chapters allowed me to intersperse all of that and one of the one of the real challenges of the book was to tell the story in the strictly rotating groups of four chapters, but also each chapter had to follow each other chronologically over the course of the day. So I didn't allow myself to jump backwards from lunchtime to the middle of the morning. Um, so, so, so that was a, a real challenge. Because <laughs> yeah, that would have made it, it a little more complicated, enough. yeah. <laughs> right. So, so that, was, uh, that did make it uh, challenging, but, but the, the, the shorter chapters enabled me to do that. And then they have titles. So did you think, I mean, I, obviously I'm assuming you were very deliberate in how you titled the chapters. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm notoriously bad at titles uh, for my novels generally. Every title, every book only gets titled after months and months of agonized hand-wringing. Um, so it was a bold, if slightly bonkers decision to then decide that I was actually going to title 40 chapters as well <laughs> a little less writing on it but but it was a useful tool for me because what it allowed me to do was to give visual cues to the reader so for example when there are flashbacks the first thing that you see at the start of every new chapter is it is a time and a date and that tells you that you're actually you've been taken out of the narrative of the day and you're going to have a flashback so that was one of the reasons why I chose to have titles just it was another way of helping the reader sort of posit themselves in the story and so they could work out where they were as for the, as for the actual finding out what the titles were I managed there was at least two or three chapters that all got titled the same thing <laughs> which tells you I'm just I'm a complete liability when it comes to this stuff so but happily there are enough there are enough people looking over my shoulder that we, we managed to catch all of that before it got it got too bad you had certain titles you really liked so you kept inserting them in there I want to make sure this <laughs> one's in the final book <laughs> well apparently yes <laughs> uh, yeah that's pretty funny so how about research? I mean, what a wonderful time period, Paris in the late 20s. I mean, still, people are fascinated with that time period. People that are there, Ernest Hemingway, Josephine Baker, Gertrude Stein. Tell me how you approached all of that. So I had, um, I had a, a, a rule of thumb that any, any real-life person who appeared in the book, and you, know, you, you, you mentioned several of them, and there are many more, um, I would read at least two very thick biographies wow. of them just 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 to give me context and and what I would try and do is to do is to read all read all of that and then put it all aside and then the character that actually appeared on the page was informed by that research but it was very much mine so I was trying to be sort of loyal to the facts as they were but I also wanted to play my own sort of creative role in the whole thing and sort of and giving each person my 
particular spin on their lives. So there was that part of it. And then, and I enjoyed that very much. I enjoy, enjoyed biography. Um, but then I also just read a ton of books just about Paris at that time. And it, you know, it was an extraordinary time. There's this extraordinary explosion of creativity after the war. And so many extraordinary things creatively happened that you know, are still, their legacy lives on to this day. And that was a lot of fun as well. And reading sort of cultural criticisms and commentaries. Uh, and the other fun thing was just buying lots of, um, lots of coffee table books of, of coffee cups and on tables in Paris and things like that. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a gorgeous city. I'll never pass by a book with pretty pictures of, uh, of Paris in it. So I was able to sort of do that as well, but it was quite funny because I would, I would quite often, I get up early in the morning to write and I would quite often to wake up and make my coffee. And then I just before signing off, I'd go onto Facebook and say, right, I'm off to Paris for a couple of hours and, <laughs> and then sign off. And then when I got back on social media again, everyone would be going, oh, you lucky thing. Oh, I wish I was going. And I have to then explain to people, well, no, I'm just, I'm just reading about it or writing about it. That is my favorite city on earth. We went there for our honeymoon. We've been back several times. Aww. I just love it. So anything that takes place in Paris, I almost always try to read. And I think you, maybe you went to school there. Is that right? I did. I went to school there when I was 13. Uh, I was at boarding school uh, in a, a place just, just actually just a little bit north of Paris called Pontoise. And, uh, and then I worked there for a year in my early 20s as a, as a lawyer. So I know, you know, I know the place quite well. But what your book brought forth that I had not really thought about was still the impact from the war, you know, war wounds and people mm -hmm. still recovering and kind of everyday people versus the, the art community. And I, that really made me think a lot. I had not thought about that component of Paris and what that was like in the late 20s there. I, I made the very deliberate decision that while I was going to use some well-known people in the book, they very much inhabit the periphery of the book and not its heart. You know, I mentioned those four characters who are really the lifeblood of the thing. I did that for a reason. It's, it's because people know those the famous people's stories anyway. And I did want to show a different kind of Paris and, and you know, to talk about not just the, the, the creativity that was going on, but also the, the everyday life that people were trying to piece their lives back together. And you know, some lives were decimated beyond repair. And those are also stories that need to be told. Absolutely. And I just was, I liked that because it was just something different than I had encountered before. It's always a challenge when you write about Paris to, um, to move away from those experts, you know, those cliches, if you like, uh, because, and, and so that was one of the reasons why I, I chose to set the action in places that are still well known, but they're not. It's not the Arc de Triomphe and the Champs Elysees. It's a, it's places that are a little bit more off the beaten track, and pe places where people actually live. And so it's always a challenge. You know, you mentioned how many there are so many books about Paris that are published every year. It's absolutely mind-boggling. <laughs> uh, and so I was just trying to offer the reader, yeah, a different perspective. Well, I like that. I think it worked. Turned out very well. What do you Thank hope you. your readers take away from this book? And it may be some of what we've just talked about, but is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I never, um, it's, an, it's always an interesting question and I, I'm always a little hesitant to answer it because my sense is that every, well, I know that every reader is different 
and every reader reads with a fresh set of eyes with their own experience and will take something different away from it. And whatever that may be is fine with me. Um, I, I tend not to prescribe in my head any sort of ideas like that. If I've managed to entertain, if I've managed to make people feel and perhaps see things a little bit differently, then you know my job is done. All that being said, you know, I think that one of the one of the themes of the book is 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 connectivity, and you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier on, and how everyone is in some way, shape, or form connected, and we all suffer joy, and we all suffer loss and sadness, and I think a clue to a lot of it is in the epigram um, at the beginning of the book by James Baldwin, which is from a a, um, a short story called Sunny's Blues, and you know, he talks about how uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, 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 it's all about I, I how we... Here, I can find it real quick. Want me to read it? Sure. For a while, the tale of how we suffer and how we are delighted and how we may triumph is never new. It always must be heard. There isn't any other tale to tell. It's the only light we've got in all of this darkness. You see, I think that's just lovely. It is And lovely. I think that, and the key words there, it's the only tale we have to tell. And it doesn't matter whether you're famous or whether you're just an ordinary person living your life. We all have these stories. So I think that would be that would be what I'd want to want people to take away from it. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. The the part about you don't want to be able to tell a reader what to think and all of that kind of segues into my next question because you own a bookstore, Skylark Bookshop in Columbia, Missouri. And I had told you that I work part-time at Murder by the Book in non-pandemic times. And I feel like I have learned that what you're saying a little more as I've worked at the bookstore. You know, ahead of time, I would love a book and I would tell people about it. And I don't know, maybe not necessarily expect them to feel exactly how I did, but maybe take away what I did. And I've learned that as a bookseller and people coming back in and talking about things I might have recommended. I've learned a lot about reading and how different people respond to different books. And so, but tell me all about how you came to own Skylark and some of that. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we, of course, we recommend books all the time and people come in after they've read them. And and sometimes the conversations are quite surreal because it's as (laughs) if it was a different book that we read. But that's, of course, part of the joy of it. Um, I mean, as far as Skylark happened, so I'm also the founder and director of a, of a literary festival called the Unbound Book Festival. Um, that the fifth year was supposed to be this year, but of course it was cancelled. It was supposed to take place in April, but that festival has grown uh, since we began, and we had I think it was ten and a half thousand people who came last time we did it, and wow. we've had some wonderful authors. We had Michael Andache and Salman Rushdie. Zadie Smith, and uh, last time out, it was George Saunders. Wow. Who's wonderful. And the community has responded so enthusiastically to that. And it was really that that made me think, well, the next logical step, although that, the word logical is doing an awful lot of work there, uh, the next logical step is to own a bookstore and to, to do that because there wasn't a uh, an independent new bookstore in Colombia, which for a city of 100,000 people with three universities in it, it sounds that there's a clear gap in the market. And so I have never <laughs> worked in a bookstore, <laughs> although I've spent an awful lot of money in bookstores. So I did this, this, by far the smartest thing I did was to 
find a business partner who had done that, uh, which I did. And her name is Kerry Cupkey, and she's my business partner. And she is very much the brains of the operation and actually makes everything uh, go smoothly. And we've been open for two years and uh, we're having a blast. I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> COVID has right. put a slight dent into things. We, we haven't actually opened our doors to the public since the middle of March. But we have, um, you know, booksellers, as you know, are nimble and um, innovative creatures. And we have been mailing books to all 50 states. We did, for five weeks, we weren't even allowed to do curbside pickups. So we actually got into our cars at the end of the day and hand-delivered books all across the city, just beginning a new series of, of online events starting this week, actually. And basically every Thursday for the next couple of months, we've got people coming in and talking to us. So you know, we're, we're, we're making it up as we go along, as everybody is at the moment, but we're having some fun with it. And we're just very grateful for the support that we've received and continue to receive from everybody in the community. Well, obviously, this pandemic has been horrific, but there have been some silver linings. And one of them, I think, is the ability for everybody to to move online and to learn all of these platforms and ways of doing things that, you know, hopefully will stay around when we're all back to our regular life. And, you know, that's just kind of an added benefit. I think that that is one part of it that we've all kind of learned a lot more than we, at least I have. And I know, you know, my bookstore has learned a lot more about those types of things than we probably ever dreamt in January. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, w- and one of the benefits is that because people can do this from their their couch, it's actually much easier to get people to come and do them, A, and B, of course, our reach is much bigger. So rather than having to come into the shop uh, to see an author, you can now just go online. So we're we're excited to see where this goes, to see how much we can grow it. But, but there, as you say, every cloud and you know we're we're hoping that that this is going to be a, a an exciting new development for us and yes you're right i think that you know when this all goes away and life gets back to what we laughingly refer to as normal um <laughs> then hopefully a lot of these things will hang around and people will have got used to you know online things and uh, we'll we'll carry on doing that as well as as in store events I would think certainly so, because I think people have become comfortable enough and it does extend the reach for you both as an author and as a bookstore owner. You know, you can you can Skype into anyone's event anywhere. And that definitely helps, I think, with the, the store and you as an author. Oh, for sure. And it's been great. I mean, I was, you know, it was dizzy, uh, dizzying a couple of weeks ago. I did an event in Southern California one day and then the next day I was in Connecticut and the day after that I was on Cape Cod so (laughs) all all without leaving my house. Well I'm all about book covers that is kind of my favorite thing about books just seeing the cover and whether the cover matches the story and you know as a bookstore owner how important covers are in a bookstore and your cover is just absolutely fabulous that's what caught my eye when I first saw the book Um, just stellar how did it come about so there is always uh, an exciting moment in the lifespan of every book when the author gets an email from the editor uh, and the email always says pretty much exactly the same thing. And it's, dear Alex, well, <laughs> here it is. Uh, me and the marketing department and the art department have been working on this for months. We've gone back and forth. This is what we've ended up with. We really love it. We hope <laughs> you do too. 
blah, blah, blah. And then at the bottom of this email, there's a JPEG and you just, and you click on it and you, you know, all extremities crossed and you just wait for this image to fill the screen and you just, you never know. This particular one was particularly memorable because I was driving my son back to Boston. He goes to college there. This was last summer. And we had literally, we just had lunch, just got back onto the road. And we had sort of four hours in front of us in the car before we were due to stop again. And <laughs> the email came in sort of five minutes after we'd set off. <laughs> and so, so I you're like, should it. I open it? Should I not yeah, open well, it? <laughs> I, well, I, I just said, I'm not going to open it because, you know, you need to be able to look at this properly. And I was driving and I, I suddenly wasn't going to be sort of glancing while I was sort of going down I-90 and driving over New York State. So, so I had to wait for three hours and 55 minutes until I sort of pulled in uh, when we got to Massachusetts. Um, and, um, and I opened it and I just breathed this enormous sigh of relief because it was gorgeous. It, it did not change at all. Really? Um, not wow. at all. It's, and in the past, you know, I have sent them back. Uh, there was one of my last book, the, the, the very first design that they, they came up with. I just said, no, this, this is just not at all what is in my head. And I have not, I don't have a, you know, a, a, an artistic cell, a visually artistic cell in my body, but I just, I had a sense of what I thought it was going to be and, and it just wasn't. So publishers are always very receptive to that because even though they're, they don't, they're not obliged to listen to what the authors say, they do want their authors to be happy. Um, but this one, no, I just opened it up and just, it was, it was, I was just thrilled. And I discovered quite recently where that staircase is. Oh, I was um, curious. Yeah, it's actually uh, the staircase. It's in Maxim's, the very famous oh, restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and it's the Maxim staircase. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, I do think a cover makes all the difference. And I'm, I'm like you, I, I'm not artistic, but a lot of times I'll, I'll have something in mind, but I can't articulate it. So like when we're working on a graphic for the podcast or for my literary salon, you know, people will send it to me, would work on it. And I'd be like, mm, no, <laughs> but I'd be able to start saying, okay, this is what I think about. This is what I think about that. So it's hard. And, but you do think, well, I've got this in mind. It's going to represent me. I want to make sure it's I'm comfortable with it. Yeah, and Macmillan are very good. I mean, they, they, they are, this is the first book I published with them. And they sent me a whole quite involved questionnaire about the cover and sort of asked me to, to comment on my previous covers and what I liked about them and what I didn't like about them and asked me what thoughts I had about this one. And basically it boiled down to, please don't put the Eiffel Tower on the cover. Yeah. Um, and that was about it. <clears throat> and they didn't. Uh, and, but I like the fact that it's something, I, I love the colors, of course, they're gorgeous, but uh, I like the fact that it's an interior shot. Um, it's, uh, it, it sort of, I think that speaks to the book and about the book. There's a lot of interiority within the book and that's nice. And, you know, and as I said, in, in when I was replying to this question, you know, the word Paris is in the title. It's doing all the work for you. So you can afford to, move away from the more obvious symbolism or iconography and do something more interesting. And, and I was just thrilled when they took that on board. I, I, I just adore it. I think Flatiron does such an amazing job with their books generally. I mean, if I'm going to read a book from them, I almost always love it. And then their covers and their marketing, everything. I think they do a wonderful job. Yeah, they do. They're great. It's been, it's been so much fun to work with them. Loved it. 
Now, are you working on anything at the present that you'd like to share with me? <laughs> well, I always uh, add that. Would you like to share with me, part? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll probably take the fifth of that. I mean, I've I have begun three new books, and I wrote fifteen thousand words of one, and then a couple of chapters of another one, and then ten thousand words of another one, uh, and I'm still trying to settle on on what I'm going to do. I just, you know, I write very, very slowly, Cindy. <laughs> and so what that means is I discovered to my cost years and years ago, you've really, really got to love and believe in the project fairly early on because you don't want to get two years in and suddenly go, ah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if this is right for me. So, so I'm always very cautious and, and I thought I knew what I was going to do and sort of set off ga- uh, sort of gallivanting along. And then it sort of just, I discovered that it had run out of steam. So I'm, I, I'm, the answer is not, I, the right now, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I've got three things sort of bubbling along and I sort of go in and sort of prod them all and give them a stir every so often. But it's not yet clear to me where I'm going to end up. Well, that's exciting that you have several things to choose from and I'll be keeping an eye out to see what will be eventually coming down the pike. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) me too (laughs) well my last question is always tell me about some of your favorite recent reads and as a bookseller I'm even more excited to hear about your recommendations okay well and as you know one of the perils about being a bookseller when you're making book recommendations is you've got to make sure that the books are actually out because as you know we we get we get galleys and and arcs early and and it sometimes can be difficult to sort of remember what's actually out available at the moment and what isn't book that i just finished this weekend uh, my wife and i we we left boone county which is where we live for the first time in four months and we went to stay on uh, about a, an hour away for a couple of days and I, I read a book a day and i had a wonderful time and one of those books was becoming duchess goldblatt oh i uh, love that book so much which was just beautiful and touching and humane and funny and very, very smart and so interesting. And I just adored it. And I uh, wrote a little review on Twitter and I tagged her in it and I said, and also, you know, Lyle love it. Anyway, she wrote back, very nice little note. And then Lyle love it, liked one of my tweets. And so I sort of thought, I can die happy now. I'm done. I'm <laughs> that, done. That's so funny because I write uh, for a Houston publication called The Buzz Magazines, and I have a new column. I write a weekly column that's online, and I have a new column in print every month, and I pick five recommended reads, and um, that was one of my July picks. And so oh. I tweeted out my five picks with the article, and she retweeted it, and then Lyle Lovett liked it. And I was the same way. I called my editor. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lyle Lovett liked my oh, wow. tweet. <laughs> well, you, you you and me both, Cindy. We're in a we're we're in a honored subset. That's funny. Yeah. So anyway, so I anyway, I adored that book. And then a book that actually isn't out yet, but it's coming out on Tuesday. So and it is actually a flat iron book. It's called Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. And Charlotte is somebody who I spent some time with in January. We were in Baltimore together at a bookseller convention. I was there with two hats on, wearing bookseller and also author. Uh, and so we did a lot of events together. And she talked about her book, and I talked about my book. She's actually going to be coming to Skylark next Thursday. And she's going to be in conversation with her editor, who is also my editor. So it's all a bit 
but so there's some context for you and I guess a disclaimer of sorts but um because I like Charlotte very much but her book Migrations is just gobsmackingly beautiful it's this incredible story about a woman who joins a, a shipping vessel in Greenland and uh, uh, sails south with them tracking the what they think are going to be the last ever flock of of this particular kind of turn uh, and it's a book about the environment and about how our world is changing and not for the better but it's also about humanity and about connection uh, and it's about secrets and it's and it's written in the most gorgeous gorgeous prose so i'm very very excited for for tuesday when that comes out uh, i think we're going to be selling selling a lot of it it's just wonderful and then another book that's coming out uh, very very soon is is called luster by raven lalani uh, which is a hysterical and very smart book about um, a young black woman who gets involved in an open relationship with an older couple and i just and and it's just a one she's got this incredibly smart voice you know sometimes books just grip me just because of the voice another one like that is real life by uh, brandon taylor i don't know if you read that but again it's just an amazing voice uh, and she writes with this extraordinary authority and it's for a debut novel i mean it's a little sickening <laughs> how good it is but that's <laughs> that's that's wonderful too so i'm really looking forward to that and then if i can just throw one more in this is, this is an, an older one but it's a book that i just go back to again and again and it's upstream by mary oliver uh, and it's a book of essays it's just i mean the prose of course is mary oliver there is so much wisdom in those pages uh, and i i most days i will pull it down and just read a page or two and it it sits on my desk whenever anybody asks me what i'm reading the answer is always upstream by mary <laughs> oliver because it's always there it's a constant presence so so there are four for you I'm going to have to order that one. I like Mary Oliver, but so I have not good. read that. So that's great. Uh, and I love those, those books that you can pick up and put down, you know, mm-hmm. and just keep going with them. So, well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I can't thank you enough for joining me, Alex. Well, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Alex's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I really hope to see you next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? 
These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.